Hey guys, it's Bill Courtney with an Army of Normal Folks, and we continue now with part two of our conversation with Ellen Yarborough right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So have you been on a call with your kid? Oh, yeah. So we went on a call um, to a house in, in our township, but not our local. So our other, our sister company's local. And uh, and my son and I are there and we've been on a few fires together. But this one, uh, this was great because we were on a line together. We weren't first line in. Again, it takes us a while to assemble people. You've got to get to the firehouse. None of us who are in my fire company actually live very close to the firehouse. So it's going to take a couple minutes to get there and then gear up and then and get to scene. So we don't take the first line and we, we pick up the second line and we go into the house. Uh, and uh, so I've got my son, he's on the nozzle and I'm behind him and we're trying to push into the house. Uh, and of course, all the you know black smoke is coming out because it's a hoarder situation. And it's just chock full of stuff, including old tires and bikes and I had to climb over a door that was on the, on its side in the middle of a room and things like that. But as my son's going in, somebody's upstairs or a window falls out and lands on my son's head, you know, the, the glass shattering. And he says, what was that? I said, nothing, just keep going, keep going. And we go in and, and he said, you know, of course, and it's met with black smoke. 
And he says, I can't see anything. I go, like, just hit whatever's red, whatever's orange, right? <laughs> spray so, the water yeah, on the hot part. spray it on the right, right. Look for the glow. <laughs> so, and at that point, I mean, really, it's, 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 the problem is, is every time you move something, flames are going to pop yeah, up. Yeah, because you put air to it, right? Right, absolutely. So you're just, you're reigniting everything. And there was just a lot of overhaul that we were doing. But um, it was just fun to be with him. It was really cool. It was hot work. Um, but it was, it was neat. I'm doing that with my kid. How fun. We've done a search for someone together before. We had another fire. Well, actually he and I were in different sides of the building together. We did a roof rescue together. That was pretty cool. Um, What's a roof rescue? A roofer had a medical emergency. So we had to package him and get him off of the roof and into a window to be taken out by EMS. Um, but it's just neat because I know he's going to listen to me, and if I'm in danger, he's he's strong as an ox, and he'll just reach down, yank me by my collar, and pull me out. And I trust him, and he can hear my voice. So, so how long is this program? The 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 training program. So we have county fire academies, and to get your initial certification, Fire One, which is just basic, you know enough to hopefully not do anything colossally stupid level, <laughs> right? But you go into it thinking like, yeah, this is going to make me a firefighter. Um, but it gives you the cert that helps reduce insurance costs and things like that and allows you you know, to then start the process of becoming the firefighter that your department or your company needs you to be. Um, but really, the, the most robust training happens in-house. So in order to get this initial certification at the county level, uh, well, then recognize the state level, and then there's something called the pro board. And that's supposed to transfer state to state. Although, as is true for most things in the United States, it doesn't always happen that way. You know, everybody has their own. Everybody wants to have their own way of doing things. But it's 188 hours. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty... Who buys your gear? It's pretty demanding. Our gear is purchased normally through, uh, we have a relief organization, um, and that's, we add funds to that um, through, as we do for everything, through fundraising, through investments, um, through contributions from the township. So we have a general fund, a crew fund, a relief fund, and we get grants. We write a lot of grants and Grants will help pay for equipment. For example, right now, we have a, a SAFER grant. It's a federal grant for about $450,000, $422,000 maybe, over the course of the next five years for recruitment and retention. And part of that, for every new recruit who comes in that's going through the training, we get a set of gear for them. So we've gotten other grants that enable us to buy a second set of gear. So if one set, if we are in a fire or some other hazardous condition and that gear needs to be sent off to be cleaned, we have a backup set to wear. So I ask because I also found this, which I think is interesting. And I don't know if these numbers are right. You can tell me if this is full of prunes or not. But a helmet's 300 bucks, a coat's 1200 pants are 875 boots are 300 a hood that I think goes under the helmet's forty bucks. Gloves are ninety five. SCBA, which I assume is a breathing apparatus, is sixty three hundred. A radio is thirty seven hundred. A thermal imager is twelve hundred, and training is seventy eight hundred. I mean, there's twenty thousand dollars in crap going on right there to volunteer your time. Right. Right. And everybody has to have this, right? Everybody who's – well, it depends on your level of training. But to be and, a full-fledged – Yes, absolutely. If you're going to be an interior firefighter and respond to the most difficult calls, car wrecks and things like that, and be in a, in a hot zone, then yes, you're going to need all of that equipment. Every 23 seconds, a fire department responds to a fire somewhere in the country. Mm -hmm. Which means that um, – Every 23 seconds, there's two-thirds a chance somebody's volunteering their time, their effort, their money, and potentially their well-being and safety well, I to mean, help out people. That's statistics. If you look at those fires, how many of those are going to be um, uh, wildfires or even structural fires? They're normally going to be in urban areas. So that's going to skew your numbers a little bit, too. I get it. But the yeah. point is- It's a lot of people doing a lot of work. Yes. Yeah. 3,800 civilians 
have lost their lives as a result of fire. 75% of all civilian fire deaths occurred in residences. There were 14,700 civilian fire injuries reported last year. There was an estimated 1.35 million fires and um, two-thirds of these, according to this, were uh, addressed by people like you, mm-hmm. teachers and line workers. And I'd love a line worker to join us. <laughs> what are the occupations of the people in your house? You got yeah, a teacher? So if you look traditionally, you're going to see a lot of guys in the trades. And, and I'm sure in some communities, in some of our local communities, we still have that. My fire company, we've got a chemical engineer, a lawyer, me as a teacher, finance, number of people in finance, accounting, IT. That's hilarious. Absolutely. If you really think about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just people from all walks of life. And the point is you know, focusing on an army of normal folks. Mm -hmm. That's some of everybody. Absolutely. And where else are you going to get an attorney and a guy operating a forklift on second shift on a line together? And that's one of the things I really like about it is that we'll joke, like politics, people will poke (laughs) <laughs> but everybody, and, and you've got, some of my friends will say, how can you, some of my friends on one side of the aisle will say, well, how can you work with that person? You know who they voted for. I said, because they will step over that campaign sign in somebody's front yard to, save to go life. put out that fire, you know, to go to, take care of that family. So I'm so glad you said that. One of the things I've said about this podcast is, I don't care how you vote. Mm-hmm. How you worship, what you look like, what you think about politics, who you love. I don't care any of that. Right. Because if you're doing something to serve people in your community, regardless of all that other stuff that I may disagree with completely, I can celebrate that one thing about you. Mm-hmm. And if we can all celebrate one another's service, regardless of who we are, what we look like, what we come from, how we vote, how we love, how we worship, whatever, that kind of starts to create a foundation of respect and mutual appreciation that now we can have those conversations in a civil, non-threatening way that, that aren't so toxic. And ironically enough, what you're talking about, the firehouse is a microcosm of what I'm talking about could happen in our country if we just celebrated one another for the deeds we were doing. Everybody gets a thank you for coming. We're happy you're here. You know, we needed you. We need you. We don't care. I don't care who you go home to, how you vote, whatever. You showed up. I needed somebody else on that truck with me. Yeah, if I voted for Trump and my house is burning down and you voted for Biden and you put it out and saved my Mm -hmm. child's life, I all of a sudden don't really care what your politics are. Absolutely. And nobody cares that I'm a woman. I mean, the people that do, that's more about them than it is on me. Once I have my gear on, most people don't know. So we were on a call and we we brought our rescue truck because it's an air bank. So we can refill people's cylinders for them. Um, and there was a... a what, what do you mean? You firefighter cylinders. They're oxygen cylinders? Well, you're not carrying oxygen on your back into a fire. That would be a bad thing. It's compressed air. Okay. So, right. But that's what you're so talking about. Those air. things mm-hmm. that the right. guys breathe yep. through when they're Self-contained in the... Self-contained breathing apparatus. Which is that scuba thing that's $6,300. SCBA. Yeah, right. whatever Oh, yeah, is. yeah. All right. Don't okay. leave that on scene. Yeah, so yeah. many... All right. All right. So we went to a call far away. In fact, we were at a car accident and this call came in and we thought that this has got to be a missed dispatch. This is all the way to the other side of the county. Why are they calling us? They wanted our rescue because we have the ability to refill cylinders with air so firefighters can go back in with a fresh fresh tank fresh cylinder don't call it a tank so we're we're there and we're parked back out of the way you know folks are operating there's actually an explosion this house exploded nobody nobody was injured it was miraculous but so these guys are working and every once in a while somebody will come up with a few cylinders to be refilled we'll be doing that so i've got my back turned um to the shoulder of the road and this guy goes you know and now this is Delco. He's like, yo, buddy, yo, buddy, yo. And uh, 
So I turn around. He goes, oh, sorry, babe. <laughs> buddy, buddy. Yeah. Oh, babe. Yo. Whatever. <laughs> and he says, he just wants to know what's going on. So I tell him what's going on. Um, so it's just kind of funny. So I, I, I'm And not neither gonna... of them are offensive. No, in that, I don't in, care. Yeah, yeah. Right, and the kind of and he's he's an older guy, you know. Yeah, he's whatever. just uh, he's not being rude. He just yeah. wants to know what's going on. He's apologizing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't care. We'll be right back. The big take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I, as a teacher and a former student at my high school, you know. um, Yeah, because you bought the house you grew up in. So now you're teaching at the same school you went to. Correct. Crazy. So when I was a kid, when I was in high school, every once in a while, there were boys, their pagers would go off and they got to leave school. And I was curious, but not curious enough. I mean, I was busy. I played sports. You know, I had other things going on. In some schools, that's a drug deal. Right, right. Well, it is a drug in a way. I mean, it's, you know, adrenaline rush. Right. Yeah, Yeah. they certainly get addicted to it. But those boys then at that time got to leave school and go and respond to calls. Now that's not the case because of insurance liability for the school and all of that. Um, And what I didn't appreciate was their level of service at the time. And those guys that I remember still in. And one of those was the guy that later became our chief. Um, And when my son got involved, now again, he's in eighth grade now. And I see how much time, and he's also an athlete, but I see how much time he's spending at the firehouse and the things that he's doing. Um, And at the time, he was doing things that I would never allow 14 and 15-year-olds to do now, nor would the state. Um, But he kind of squeaked in 
and around some folks, I guess, to have a little more fun than a boy should have at his age. Um, but I just saw how much time and how much learning was happening and the skills that he was developing and the mentorship, the teaching that these guys were the doing. Responsibility. The absolute responsibility, the, the, what he was entrusted with and, and how he managed that. And even like soft skills of confidentiality, the things you see, the homes you go into, mums the word. When you come out and you want to talk about a call, you talk about it with other folks here, but you don't go gab about it. You don't take photos of it. None of that happens. Hmm. And Never even thought about that, but that's got to be absolutely true. Absolutely. That's that element of trust. And I thought it was – and then now he's in high school and he's still doing this and he's recruiting a couple of his buddies. So now we've got this little thing going here and I'm thinking, why don't these kids get credit for this at school? And none of the teachers really seemed to know, despite always having had volunteer firefighters in the school, like every school around us, and half of the guys who are captains and chiefs and firefighters in the volunteer service in my entire county started off as juniors and cadets. Um, so they've been doing this forever. But in order to get that kind of credit, you would have to leave half the school day and go to a vocational high school for a, a VOTEC program, for a... EMS fire police class uh, program, which exists, which is tremendous. But then you're leaving out the kids who do all of that stuff on their free time, but don't want to leave school for a tech program because they want to take AP biology or they want to be on, on campus so that they can go to wrestling practice right after school. So these were kids that were doing the work that weren't getting credit for it. So I made a proposal and I wrote a, a brief course description and justified it based on Pennsylvania State Department of Education standards for career and technical education, that they should get academic credit, elective credit, for the work that they provide in the community with a firehouse. Um, and nobody said no. And I think that's been part of my story is nobody ever says no. So, so we went with it. And that was 2018. And what was really cool, uh, and I was invited to do a webinar in Maryland for the Maryland State Firemen's Association on recruitment of juniors. And what I showed on one slide was basically how one begets two begets four, you know, this kind of compounded growth, this exponential growth by bringing in a single correct kid and him bringing in the right friends. Um, when I first approached guidance and teachers, and these are my friends, um, generally what I heard was, and firefighters are no good at denying this. What I heard was, well, you know, it's kind of like the Marines. These kids, they need something. They need, they need, you know, kind of ship up or shape or shape up or ship out kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, and then you ask older firefighters, and they're like, oh God, when I was a kid, I was a hellion. And well, well, would you want a hellion in your fire company now, in your firehouse now? Absolutely not. I don't want those kids. I don't want the version of me when I was a teenager. I worked hard, but maybe I play a little too hard. So I had to. I had to re-characterize, paint a different portrait of who is suitable for a firehouse. And you can't be someone who's failing out of, out of classes. Your priority is school. That's why you're there. So they had to be a student of some sort. They had to be trustworthy. They had to be able to hold confidence. You know, they had to be, they can't get, be combative. If an adult says, put your phone away, the phone is away. There's no questions asked. Unlike in the classroom, I fight that battle every day. But in the firehouse, I never fight it. Phones are up. Let's go. And the kids want to be there, so they don't do it. So I kind of painted a, a, a new picture of what our ideal candidates would be. And my teachers, my, my peers have been great at recommending kids to me. I'll have an English teacher with a freshman send me a text. I've got this great kid. He kind of has nothing right now. He's a big kid. He's a nice kid. He's strong, but he's not playing sports. And... And he's friends with this other boy. He's a firefighter. I'm wondering, hey, maybe he can convince him to go to the firehouse. Fine. Send him to my office. I'll talk to him. Fifth block, end of the day. Um, so now so my teachers are doing some of the recruiting for me, which is amazing. Uh, it, it is amazing because I'll go back to one of, the, one of the things I read earlier, which is many local volunteer fire departments are struggling to meet staffing needs. Where better? to get meet staffing needs by training them young, getting them involved and giving them credit for it, making them feel part of something. And then all of a sudden you're 
building literally an army of volunteers. You hope so. Uh, it all depends on where you live, too. So the retention issue is big. I mean, recruitment is one thing. So I can convince people to join, but how do I keep them around? Because a lot of the kids that I'm going after, they have ki- these are kids that have any number of opportunities in front of them, including my own two. So both my son and my daughter are firefighters. Uh, but um, I recruited one boy. Actually, I didn't even recruit him. He just approached me and he said, this was before his, uh, I guess it was spring of junior year. He said, I want to go to the Naval Academy. Do you think being a firefighter, being a junior firefighter will help me in that? I said, sure, come on. I'll take I'll take anybody. I actually believe it would. Absolutely, it does. All those skills that you learn? Yep, absolutely it does. And I said, not only that, but if you're responding this much, then it's going to go on your transcript. So they're going to see there's, there's proof positive you're actually following through with it. And now you have somebody who's going to speak on your behalf to recruiters. I've had calls from police departments, fire departments. Um, asking me about people who have gone through either with my fire company or one of the other neighborhood ones and the kids know me, um, they'll ask me, can I use you as a, as a reference? I say, absolutely. So, and I track those kids. And now you, you, you speak at conferences and you extra and you instruct at the national fire Academy and you write for, fire service publications, and you advise LA-based production teams with how to approach the fire service for television series. I mean, what? No, some of that's luck. Um, (laughs) You know know the saying, like, I know a guy? Yeah. I had a guy. I I know a guy. I always know a guy. Or sometimes I'm that guy. Um, No, I I think I've made the right connections. So... everybody's thinking too often about how can we build a program and how can we pay for this program? Who's going to staff it? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do X, Y, Z? Um, And my model, I'm trying to just simplify it. Why are we pouring all this money into stuff? Kids have been going to firehouses. Teenagers, whether they accept them at 14 or they accept them at 16, they've been going to firehouses for 100 years, at least. I mean, I'm saying modern fire service, not, you know, let's say post-World War II, modern fire service. They've been showing up, but they've been showing up with their uncle, their grandfather, father, whoever. But now they're showing up one kid at a time or a kid comes in and he brings another kid. Like we've had to go find the kids rather than the kids coming to us because it runs in the family blood. Um, And if that's not happening, then you've got school districts who want to create programs but don't have the funds to fund another program. But they like community partnerships with with, – for their students. And you've got fire departments who want to get into the schools and they think that there always needs to be a formal class in the school during the school day. And that works for robust school districts that have that fund, those funds. But what about the rural ones? You know, what about all these other groups? Um, And even in my community, and again, my model is what about the kids who don't want to give up on certain classes because they're aiming to go to Carnegie Mellon or wherever, um, or the Naval Academy, and they've got to take AP chemistry and AP physics. They can't have half their day going somewhere else. So why don't we just simplify it and just give them credit for what they do out in the community? All right. So you're a teacher and your students know that they're cool teachers, kind of this firefighter person too, right? Mm -hmm. How's that go? So, well, I guess most interestingly, sometimes I, I recruit right out of my own classroom. Yeah. And uh, every every anniversary of 9-11, I show two videos. If you haven't seen them, you really should. ESPN did an extraordinary one called The Man in the Red Bandana. And it's about a guy. He was a, a trader, new to the job um, at in one of the towers. I can't remember which. Hold it. I want to interrupt you and then tell it. We're going to tell this story on this we're going to do a podcast on this. About Wells Crowther? About the man with the red bandana. Okay. But you go ahead and tell it because this will be our lead in. In fact, we may use the voiceover one day in a future episode, but okay. this is a great story. Absolutely. So this is one of my favorite stories. And ESPN just does a top-notch job on this. So you've got this young guy fresh out of college, Boston College, and he's, I believe he's a trader, some finance guy, in the World Trade Center. 
And he had been a volunteer firefighter. He had been a junior. So he started as a high schooler too, goes off to college, plays ice hockey, plays lacrosse, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and he had contacted his father shortly before 9-11 and said, I don't want to do this. This isn't what I want to do. I want to be a firefighter. And I'm sure his dad at the time, and he tells his story, and it's really sad. And he's thinking, like, what are you doing? You know, you just went to college and paid all this You went money. to college. You're right. a trader. You're yeah, in the World exactly. Trade Center, in the, in the mecca of Wall Street and everything. What You, you want to give all that up to be a firefighter? Right. But the kid was a volunteer firefighter. Yeah, so it's in his heart. So all hell breaks loose, and he's in the position to help. And as his father tells it in the story, he takes off his trader's hat and puts on his firefighter hat, you know, proverbial, uh, and gets to work helping people out of the building. And that ESPN short uh, recounts that story, including interviews of people that recognized him because he carried a red bandana, which was a gift from his father when he was a kid. So that's a really cool story. So I share that. The kids, some will cry, you know, they, but they now I've got them because to them, 9-11, 2001, they weren't even born. Uh, and the other one I show is about the 9-11 boat lift, which is a really cool story. And it's narrated by Tom Hanks. Uh, and it's that in nine hours, all of these vessels were called into service. And somehow the Coast Guard manages to wrangle these guys and their ferries and their private fishing boats and all of that. And they managed to get 500,000 people off of the south end of Manhattan in nine hours to all points, you know, Staten Island, wherever, Hoboken, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I love a feel-good story, and those are two really important stories. Um, I, there's a tremendous documentary that's too long to show and hold students' attention these days by these two Frenchmen who came and are just following uh, FDNY around and happen to be there on a gas call when the first plane hits. Who's photos I saw three days ago mm. in the 9-11 Museum when I was in Manhattan. They're on the wall, along the whole back wall next to the slurry wall. Those Frenchman's photos yeah. are in the 9-11 Museum right now. I saw them three days ago. I yeah. was there. I was just up there about a month ago with a friend. Uh, she was visiting from Idaho and had never been. I said, fine, I'll take the train up. Let's go. So When you, uh, when you go in that museum, now being a firefighter yourself, How's it affect you? Well, I think there were a lot of one that department lost an entire generation of of leaders, not to mention all the men that, that followed them in the buildings that day. And I think no matter where you work, the idea that at some point you're not going to be there, it needs to be in your head so that you're actually you learn something, you turn around and you teach somebody else. So, and I don't know the, the whole story about how that department rebuilt itself, but fortunately those guys were teachers and now these guys step into their boots and rebuild the department. And I'm sure they shuffled plenty of people around, you know, but uh, that's kind of an extraordinary story of, of rebirth for that department. Uh, but back to showing these two videos. So I've got a kid in my class and she's a senior. Um, again, it's the first week of school and, uh, she's an ice hockey player. So now she's interested in this story because, uh, the ESPN story because of Wells Crowther. And I had said as my lead in that they knew most of the kids know that I'm with the local fire company. I see them on calls. I go into their homes and, uh, at the end of class, she says, I want to be a firefighter. I said, fine, show up Monday night. So she shows up Monday night. We were doing a really fun training, put her in gear put a pack on her. She went on air for the first time to kind of crawl around. It was simulating, uh, finding your way out, following a hose line out of a building in, in darkness. So put the, the, the mask over her, um, or I'm sorry, the hood over her face, over her mask. So she couldn't see anything and had to feel her way out. Um, and she loved it. And, uh, and now she's, uh, she went to the Academy in Massachusetts where she goes to college. She's a fire science major. She wants to be a firefighter. She wants to be a career firefighter. Um, usually when she's around, we don't get anything, but this summer she caught a nice brush fire on the, on a highway with my son. So I think of, <laughs> of all the people that can be out on a brush fire for four hours, I'm glad it was the two college athletes, right? <laughs> and not, not me and our other gray haired, gray haired folks. Um, but they had a great time. So they're just chasing brush fire. All right. 
so then something happens and you provide testimony to the Pennsylvania legislature. Explain all that. I don't, I'm not really sure how everything started to unfold like that. Um, but it's been, my trajectory is unusual, I guess. Really? Um, and <laughs> you were in Idaho, then France yeah. and Poland. But even and- this whole, I mean, it's just kind of truncated into this, this kind of sub career or extra career of doing all of these things where my name is ahead of anything I've done sometimes, you know, like I want to do it first. And the other day somebody says, Oh, I heard about you. You're famous. I'm like, what did I do? And he's, Oh, I just hear you're famous. So I don't know what that is. That a good thing? Is that a bad thing? But it was just, it was a guy who had been one of my instructors when I went through fire one, I just ran into him in the cafeteria at the Academy the other day. But I, I, there's some good folks in the state. I, I've made some really great connections. Um, and uh, Ellen, I'm going to go ahead and say this for you. Okay. Um, I know you didn't seek it out. No. I didn't either. Yeah. I get it. All it's right? embarrassing and, sometimes. And I appreciate the humility and everything else. But a woman who at 45 who's been all over the place as a teacher, who becomes a volunteer firefighter, and then almost becomes the face of volunteer firefighting in that part of the world. That's... I don't know about that. I do. (laughs) We'll be right back. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess, the 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again, the First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances, and the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I had mentioned uh, 
my former principal who hired me back at my school, uh, she moved on and she's superintendent in another another county north of us in another school district. And and she's a wonderful person. I'm going to have dinner with her and a few friends here in a, a few weeks. Um, and she's been a big supporter of me in all my endeavors, which is nice. So one day I get a call from a guy who knows another guy that knows me. I and, know a guy. Yeah, I know a guy. And he is a chief at a fire company in this county. And he said, we're really struggling with getting juniors. I've been hearing about what you're doing down in, in Delco, in Delaware County. Um, and we're wondering if you could come up and talk to us. And I said, well, what's your school district? And he tells me. And I said, well, you're not going to believe this. I said, but your superintendent's a friend of mine. She's my old boss. I said, don't worry, this is going to happen. And so I went up to meet with them. So we organized a meeting. So it was the school superintendent, my old principal, and then chiefs from these three different fire companies that all run together. And I brought my daughter with me, who was a high schooler, who was really reluctant to join the fire department and eventually get sucked in during the pandemic because there was nothing else to do. <laughs> um, and now she wants to be a therapist for first responders, which is extraordinary. Unbelievable. So cool. She's cool. So um, so we sit down at the table, do the introductions, and uh, the superintendent says, so what can I do for you? And I thought the chiefs were about to fall out of their chairs because here's a school district saying like, no, you don't have to do anything. What what can I do to, for you? Like, what what do you need me to do to get you juniors into the firehouse? Um, and they hit the ground running. They're off and running. They did kind of a like a meet the firefighter program at the school, hands-on, brought a lot of equipment, and then started recruiting, and now they're building their junior program. So I've done that locally, uh, or regionally, I should say. Lancaster County, they just got theirs totally up and going. I actually brought my juniors out. They were running a summer camp for little kids a few summers ago, and I brought my juniors with me to help run the, their day camp with them for a couple of days. Uh, and they were really impressed with my juniors at the time. Um, so now they're off and going. And uh, a couple of our sister companies that I'll see on calls, it's actually helped me in some of my professional relationships with folks who will kind of stare me down. But then they see what I'm trying to do for them too. And I kind of celebrate their juniors' achievements. I share that on my social media. Look what this department's doing. Um, and now those relationships have gotten a little bit stronger. So you are now, I think, you're the deputy chief, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Process of elimination. You keep you keep downplaying yourself. It's, well, it's I mean, really I bad. There's, how many people get nominated? One. You know, <laughs> okay, like, but you're dep chief, and yeah. you're you're involved now in helping or teaching to train to train. How many of these fire departments? Uh, well, so I've done some webinars uh, for the state of Pennsylvania, and uh, I'm on a a, a group like a kind of a focus group for uh, the state fire commissioner's office. And I've had calls, a lot of freebies. I've done a lot of free work. But locally, there are let's see, one, two, three, about 10 or 12 nearby that I've had direct hands-on that I actually have something in my pocket from. Not that it ever balances out. Uh, but I, I didn't do it for the money. Like, I, I just felt that it was the right thing to do to, to share this stuff. Um, and it was a couple friends of mine who were saying, if you're not going to make money off of this, somebody's going to steal your ideas and they're going to take it and they're going to run with it and they're going to make money. So I'm not, I'm not a salesperson. I just think this is the right way to do it, to, to find a population that we'd otherwise ignore. Why don't we re recruit the top kids? Why don't we recruit kids that are taking all these classes that are three varsity sport athletes? You know, why aren't we going for top-notch kids? Why are people waiting for people to walk in their door and we get what we get? But the neat thing is, is our juniors are still across the spectrum. You know, we've got kids who struggle in school that were on them. Uh, I, I look at their grades, the ones that are in my school. I can say, hey, you know, what's happening here? Or I'll have a math teacher say, hey, so-and-so's not doing so hot right now. You want to talk to them? And I remind them that school's their job and things like that. Um, but I like that, that we have a diversity of learners because that, that reflects the fire company too. And some of these kids are top-notch. They can tie knots all day long and, and create rigging systems that are extraordinary, but they're not going to take AP physics. It's just not their thing. They're hands-on people. They're not textbook people. 
So 10 municipalities, Mm -hmm. kids all over the place, all kinds of training. It's not bad for a 45-year-old teacher to decide she's going to hang out with her kid and join the volunteer fire department. Eat some pizza. And eat some pizza. Yeah. I tried to give it up twice. So every November is, in the volunteer world, they call it silly season because that's when all the politics come out and people choose. They kind of you know, jockey for position to be an officer. But our company is so small. uh, There's, I don't know, maybe 12 of us who keep it moving forward, right? And so nobody else wants it. It's kind of a hot potato. (laughs) So I tried to give it up, but there's nobody who is able to do it. And as our our president said to me one day when I said, look, I just, I don't have the time. There are other things I want to do now. My kid, I'm an empty nester now. I want to do other things. And and he said, you're still going to do the work anyway. You might as well wear the hat. Um, and then I said, okay, fine, but I'm not going to come to all these calls. Uh, maybe I won't even make 20%. And he says, nobody will care. Just do what you can do, which is all we ask of anybody. Just give what you can give. We don't kick people out. If, unless we don't see them for a year, we're not kicking people out because maybe they'll come back around. I think your story is a beautiful answer to a question an army of normal folks gets all the time, which is, I'm so inspired. You know, what can I do? What difference can I make? Mm -hmm. I'm too young. I'm too old. And you and and your kids, just to spell the notion, Mm -hmm. one's 14, one's 45, doing the same thing, serving their community Mm -hmm. on a volunteer basis. And the answer is, you don't have to be part of some NGO. You don't have to start some massive 501c3. Right. You see an area need in your community and you fill it. And every day is an opportunity to do something. Um, Alex reminded me of a guy who does a speech talking about go today. You're not too old. You're not too young. And I can't remember the guy's name. Matthew Kelly. Yeah. Matthew Kelly. And I'm going to give him credit here so I don't get sued, but. He says in one of his speech, do not say you're too old, do not say you're too young. Pablo Picasso, 55 years old when he painted uh, Guernica and began a revolution in the arts. Dom Perignon was 60 years old when he produced the first glass of champagne. Oscar Hammerstein, 64 years old when he wrote The Sound of Music. Winston Churchill, 65 when he became Britain's prime minister and uh, stood up to Hitler. Nelson Mandela was 71 years old and was released from prison for more than 20 years in prison. And four years later, at the age of 75, he became the president of South Africa. Michelangelo was 72 when he designed the Dome of St. Peter's in Rome. Benjamin Franklin, 79 years old when he invented bifocals. Frank Lloyd Wright was 91 when he finished his work on the Guggenheim. Um... Dimitri, uh, I don't know his whole name, but this guy was 98 years old when he ran a marathon. Um, And he was 98 years old when he ran the Athens Marathon. Um, And uh, a guy named Uriah was 100 years old when he climbed Mount Fuji. So you're never too old. And... You're never too young because Anne Frank was 13 years old when she began her diary. Walf Waldo Emerson, 14 years old, we enrolled at Harvard. Paul McCartney, 15 years old when John Lennon invited him to join this little band. Bill Gates was 19 when he co-founded Microsoft. And Joe DiMaggio was 26 when he hit safely for 56 consecutive games. You're never too old. You're never too young. And when people listen to an army of normal folks and they become inspired and they doubt themselves, these people that we just talked about from that speech, um, and you and your son show us and your daughter Mm -hmm. show us. And now your students absolutely show us you're never too young. You're never too old. And when you match a passion with a discipline and a place of opportunity, you can serve. And you can not only change lives, but in your case, save them. Mm-hmm. How rewarding is that when you don't know all shucks humility on this one? When you just sit back for a second and think of the last 10 years of your life when you're 45 years old 
and took your kid at 13 to fill out that cadet form and then eventually volunteered to to the meaningful work you're now doing that ultimately does save lives. And it fills a huge area of need because, as we know, two-thirds of fire departments, all of our volunteer, without those volunteers, your house is burning down and nobody's coming to get you out of the wrecked car. Have you taken just a second to think, wow, look how rewarding this is? Oh, absolutely. I I think, again, it's been huge for me as a mother, you know, raising two kids who are that aware of the needs of others. Um, my daughter called me uh, flying home uh, or after flying back to school. She said, well, I had to take care of somebody on a, on a flight. I said, well, what happened? And are you said, kidding me? No. She said, uh, poor kid. <laughs> she said, the uh, flight attendant comes over the announcements and said, uh, do we have any medical personnel on board? And it's crickets, crickets. And she's saying, well, that's not me. And they again, again, please, are there any people who have any medical training on board? We have a passenger who needs some help. And she's thinking like, Oh, they are not talking about me. So the flight attendant's walking past her, and my daughter, um, who has just gone through the very basic, she has yet to have a fire. I think she had a mulch fire one day. Um, How old is she? At this she's point? 20. Okay. And, and she doesn't want to be a firefighter. She wanted to get certified to be a firefighter. You said EMT. To get her EMT because she wants to be able to be a therapist for people. You know, the PTSD is extraordinary. Um, I think we're doing a much better job of taking care of our people and that preventative medicine kind of stuff, normalizing, talking. That's new for this generation. But folks have been in 40, 50 years. You know, how many people could we save um, from alcoholism, from divorce, from suicide, because they know that they had somebody who they could talk to that would listen and that would understand. So for her to have those certs on the on the wall, to have her helmet up there, a couple pictures of herself, whatever. That gives it some gravitas, right? It gives her some legitimacy in talking to these people. So, but here she is, and, and she's she hasn't even tested yet for her EMT. So she just went through the class. And she says uh, to the flight attendant, because this woman's kind of panicking, um, or at least uncomfortable, she said, well, I have my EMT, but I'm just a student. She's like, great, come with me. She's thinking, what? And she says she's going to the back of the plane, and she's saying to herself as she's going back, please don't be a rectal bleed. Please don't be a, <laughs> <laughs> a rectal bleed. And I was like, oh, absolutely not. And gets back there, and it was somebody who had a seizure. So she knew what to do. She knew how to handle it. I've had a couple seizures in my life. So you know, she was comfortable with that. So that was in her her scope of practice, for sure, to be able to take care of this person, to say to somebody else, nope, we're not giving her anything to drink right now, and basically and be there and help this person from continuing to, to injure themselves and convulsions until, as they were taxiing, coming back and having that person taken away by, by more trained medical folks. Than but that's still... Super cool. I'm so how proud cool of her. is that? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. yeah. It's a long way from the south of France. Absolutely. It's an amazing story. I got to believe, I'm hoping, people listening to us, there's going to be some people say, hey, I want to be a volunteer fire. That sounds cool. That's something I can do. And I'm not too old. I'm not too young. It's something I can do. If a divorced 45-year-old mother or two who's a social studies, a psychology teacher can do it and do all that you've done, I can do it. If somebody wants to hear more and reach out to you and get a little mentoring on it, how, how do they reach you? Oh, absolutely. Well, I have, for my consulting, I have this Ellen at schoolhouse2firehouse.com. Um, and certainly that's how I communicate with folks who are just starting the journey of these partnerships with school districts. But I could certainly take take some emails from folks that way. And if we have teachers that say, oh, or school sure. administrators say, hey, that's something we need. They reach out to Ellen. Do it again. Ellen at schoolhouse2firehouse.com. You're going to leave here and go hang out on a Memphis fire truck somewhere. Give us Absolutely. a shout. What house? Uh, Station 2. Station 2. First Battalion. Is that downtown? That's downtown. Are you going to the one right across from the hotel? Correct. So she's staying. We booked her at a ride hotel. 
and she's literally going across the street. It's <laughs> awesome. Well, I I uh I hope nobody gets hurt, and I hope there's no nobody loses anything. But I hope you at least to get to go out on the truck with them for. Something. Oh, absolutely! I'll be yeah. doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's Memphis. I'll be traveling with the chief, the it's, battalion chief. It's Memphis. Something's gonna happen. Something's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. trust me. There's always something going on around here, so. and it's just different. Be careful and have fun. And Ellen, thanks so much for flying down and joining us. Tell us your story. It is really a cool story and hopefully a reminder and an inspiration to the people that we hope join the proverbial army of normal folks that you're never too old, you're never too young, and there's always something we can do to serve. Yes, ma'am. So for somebody to want to join a, a fire company, a volunteer fire company, um, or fire department, it, when we say there's never, you're never too old for it, we have people, the vast majority of the people are in support roles, just like moving an army along. You have so many more people that provide the support that do for, at least for volunteer fire departments, the fundraising, the advertising, the recruiting, all of that kind of stuff, building maintenance, truck maintenance. There really is a job for everybody. So there are going to be plenty of people, including somebody like me who said, well, I'll take some pictures on calls, um, who will come in and say, well, here's my limit. And then they find that there are other ways that they can get involved. So they might put their foot in the door and say, how about if I just come and cook for you guys one night a month? And we've had folks do that. That's a foot in the door. And once we get them in the station, then it's limitless, the kinds of things that they can do. And and people find that it's a really nice place to be. The kitchen table is the heart of any fire department, of any fire station. I hope to be sitting around a kitchen table tonight because that's where you really get to know people and know why they do what they do and what they need and maybe how you can fill in the blanks for them. Because invariably in any given fire department, volunteer, there's going to be some blanks that need to be filled. And And even if you're serving the ones who are providing the service, it's still serving. It's Absolutely. still filling an area of need. Absolutely. It's still being a part of an army of normal folks, seeing a place of need and filling it. And what you're saying is you don't have to be on the end of a hose. There's a plethora of other opportunities inside a volunteer fire department to serve your community. Absolutely. Correct. And you want to make sure there's somebody that answers that call. Yeah. So um, it's an opportunity for everybody. Ellen, awesome story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thanks so much for the inspiration. Thanks so much for reminding us of of um, the fact that you're never too old, you're never too young, and there's never not there's never a meaningless job in the entire network of all of it. And um, um, and what you've done to to help kids to to find a uh, an outlet and another thing to do. The whole whole story is just phenomenal and. Uh, Again, be careful tonight. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And thank you for joining us this week. And to our friends at the National Volunteer Fire Council for recommending Ellen's story. If Ellen or another guest has inspired you in general, or better yet, inspired you to take action by bringing schoolhouse to firehouse to your community, by becoming a firefighter or something else entirely, please let me know. I really do want to hear about it. You can write me anytime at bill at normalfolks.us and I will respond. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and on social. Subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it. Become a premium member at normalfolks.us. Do all these things that will help us grow an army of normal folks. The more people, the more impact. I'm Bill Courtney. I'll see you next week.
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.